Let's pray. Dear Father in heaven, we bow before you. The service this morning, we thank you for the opportunity to come gather together as believers to worship you. Lord, I pray this morning that our worship would not be vain, but our hearts would truly be drawn close to you, that we'd worship you and be committed to serving you. Just pray this morning that you would bless Mal as he shares the message you laid on his heart. May we have open hearts to receive what you have for us this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, greetings in Jesus' name and welcome to each one. It's good to be here. Again, uh, marvel at God's faithfulness in many ways. I think fall is in the air. I know it's going to be warm today and tomorrow yet, but I think it's going to cool down soon and, and uh, again, a reflection of God's faithfulness. The change in seasons. Um, I always think that maybe at times it would be nicer to be in a warmer climate, but I really do like the four seasons. I don't know if I like the, the way the summer and winter is divided out, but I really do enjoy all four seasons. And by the time you get to the end of one, I'm usually kind of ready to see the next one. And uh, so, just a, another display of God's faithfulness. Another one I want to, again, uh, thank you for, and that is for your prayers. You know, um, I think my fellow pastors could relate to this, but I don't typically have something far in advance as to what I'm going to preach about. Uh, I have no idea what my next text or title or topic will be. But as I approach that time, somehow God brings it to me. And thank you for your prayers. I think that's really key. So just an encouragement to, to, to you. Keep praying for us. Um, yeah, John had an interesting series on uh, women in the Bible, and I've done that from time to time. I'm not in that right now. Basically, it's one one sermon at a time. So again, thank you for um, praying on, on our behalf. Today's title is The Battle for Holiness. And I guess <clears throat> as we get into this, I think you'll agree with me, we are battling for holiness in our, in our daily lives. It's not something that comes naturally. It's not something that we're born with. It's not something that just happens. <clears throat> a life of holiness is, of course, a lifelong process, but it's, it, it really is a conflict or a battle that I think we all have as we go through life. I'd like to invite your attention to Galatians chapter 5. The last part of this chapter is, is um, dealing with this very thing, several aspects of that. I'm going to be reading, begin reading in verse 16 of Galatians chapter 5. <clears throat> this I say, then walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary the one to the other, so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. But if ye be led of the Spirit, ye are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are manifest which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, 
Idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, various emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, endings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like, of which I tell you before, as I have told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, against such there is no law. And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lust. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not be desirous of vain glory, provoking one another, ending one another. <clears throat> I realize I'm kind of getting into the last chapter of this book. Paul wrote this to the church at Galatia. Uh, they were, at the time, faced with false teachers who were trying to undermine the teachings of the apostles, the teaching that the apostles were teaching. They were teaching that people still needed to keep continue offering sacrifices and do those other things that were required by law, like maybe washing your hands so many times before every meal. That was a little bit, we talked about that this morning in Sunday school. That was required by their law. And uh, we have Paul addressing them several times here in, in, in chapter 3. He, uh, he asks, who hath bewitched you? He calls him foolish. Galatians chapter 3, the first couple of verses. I'm not going to read it, but you can read it. He calls him foolish. He asks him, did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law? He's referring to the Holy Spirit within them. Have you made, been made perfect by the flesh? You know, these are all rhetorical questions with an obvious answer. They, um, the flesh does not make you perfect, and they did not receive the Spirit through the law. But here in Galatians 5, we see uh, Paul encourage them and us to, to stand fast in the liberty wherewith Christ has made us free. And he says, don't go back to that yoke of bondage again. If you do, here in chapter 5, the first couple of verses, he says, Christ is become of no effect, and you are fallen from grace. That's in verse 4. You are fallen from grace. And then in verse 6, we are not saved or sanctified by any external acts, but through faith alone in Jesus Christ. And I think that is sort of the emphasis of Jesus' teaching, especially in our Sunday school lesson this morning. There was a lot of, as we know in their day, a lot of emphasis on, in this case, that washing or whatever that all included. But their heart was totally out of it, so out of it. They were not, uh, in fact, in this case, the example that Jesus used in Sunday school, they were violating one of God's laws to keep one of their laws. And so, Jesus deals with that, the heart issue. You know, we change from the inside out. It's hard to have a lasting, permanent change if it's only an external force or consequence. Uh, we tend, if that's the only motive, we tend to look for loopholes and some other way around it. And so, I'd like to... Think of this, this battle of holiness. First of all, what is holiness? What does that mean? How can we be holy? 
Are you holy? Am I holy? I'd like to look at Leviticus 20, verse 26, and that is the key verse of that book. It says, And ye shall be holy unto me. This is God speaking to Israel. And ye shall be holy unto me, for I, the Lord, am holy, and have severed you from other people, that ye should be mine. He severed Israel from other people so that they could be his. Now, imagine the Egyptian influence that would have been on the Israelites after having been in slavery for 400 plus years. I mean, that's, that's generations, 400 years. Just one generation after the next being under the influence of the Egyptian culture. And you can read, you can see through some of the readings that they had no regard for human life. First chapter of, of, of Exodus, they were, they were supposed to throw all the baby boys in the river and drown them. That was their idea of population control. So you kind of get the idea that life was cheap. Um, and of course, because of that, there's all kinds of other issues that arise. That's just one example. And so is it any wonder that God had very strict laws, dietary laws? He had laws of ethics and honesty and integrity. There were marital laws and business laws and laws regarding the Sabbath. There is laws, you name it. Read the book of Leviticus if you want a refresher course. There is just, it's just, um, and I go through that every time I get to that in my Bible reading schedule. Oh, wow, Leviticus again. It just goes on and on, and I don't know how they really would have remembered uh, all the things, but they had some very strict laws, and I think, as we had mentioned, as was mentioned in our Sunday school class this morning, um, I think they were, they were given by God to his people for protection. If they're coming out of the, the Egypt and journeying through the wilderness to the Promised Land, maybe a million people, there would have had to be some very strict sanitation laws, uh, you know, laws about, you name it. Um, imagine what a pandemic would do in a group of a million people, something like that, you know. So I think God certainly, obviously had deeper reasons, but that was part of the reason, just for their physical protection and preservation as they were journeying through the wilderness. They didn't have doctors and hospitals readily available. They were pretty much under God and by his direction. So God severed them from other people for his own. Just briefly, let's turn to Deuteronomy chapter 7. That's not really important, but I want to do just look at that. I do want to look at that briefly. Deuteronomy chapter 7 is, of course, this is the um, law given to the next generation the former generation had died in the wilderness. The younger generation was being taught by Moses some of these. De Deuteronomy 7, verse 7. The Lord did not set his love upon you, nor choose you, because you were more in number than any people, for you were the fewest of all people. But because the Lord loved you, and because he would keep the oath which he had sworn to your fathers, hath the Lord brought you out of him with a mighty hand, and redeemed you out of the house of bondmen, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, Know therefore that the Lord thy God, he is God, the faithful God, which keepeth covenant and mercy with them that love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. There, that's the why. 
uh, because God loved them and made a covenant with them. Now today, God doesn't sever his people from other people for his own, but we're given a choice. Along with that choice, there's many fringe benefits, if you will, and we'll, we'll get to that a little bit later. <clears throat> but back to holiness. What is holiness, and how do we get there? How do we do that? We have a few, uh, a few steps right here in Galatians 5 that, that I want to look at. But right there in verse 16, the first verse that we read, walk in the Spirit, walking, one step at a time, Run, not running, but walking. Walking is making progress, one foot in front of the other. I'm often reminded of that when, when I'm hiking or whatever, and you get to this huge, big, tall mountain, you think, I'd love to be up there about now. And the only way you get there is one foot in front of the other. That's life. One foot in front of the other. Walking in Scripture is often referred to as just living life. Walking is good exercise. You know, there's a neighbor, an, an old-timer, he's since then passed away, talked about some of his old-timer friends who would walk, he claims, up to 14 miles a day behind a team of horses as they were fitting ground in the spring. That's a lot of steps. That's a lot of walking. And I remember that in my younger day, having grown up in the Amish community. For some reason, they would walk behind the equipment rather than ride it. I don't know why. Then they finally someone did put a seat on it and start riding this equipment. But I remember many a time seeing a farmer walking behind a team of horses as he was fitting ground. That's a lot of walking, but they got the job done. One step at a time, one foot in front of the other. Scripture says a lot about walking, but if we walk, for John 1, 7, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. Touch briefly on that this morning in Sunday school. 1 John 2, 6, we are to walk as he walked, he being Jesus. We are to walk as Jesus walked. Walking in the Spirit. Uh, verse 13, again, going back up just a little bit, we didn't read that verse. But it talks about serving one another in love. Serving one another. Also, love your neighbor as yourself. On this, hang all the law and the prophets there in verse 14. And then 16, if we walk in the Spirit, we will not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. Walking in the Spirit will produce the mind of Christ. Turn with me to Philippians chapter 2. Uh, this, is, this is the, um, again, Paul writing this. He speaks much of the, the mind of Christ. And, and right here, um, I'm going to read these couple of verses here, Philippians 2, verses 1 to 8. If there be any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy, that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vain glory, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. 
Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men, and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Walking in the Spirit will produce the mind of Christ. And there's, again, um, the idea of uh, an attitude of humility and submission um, among each other. Walking in the Spirit will produce the mind of Christ. And now, now, let's look into this battle or the conflict, this battle for holiness. Um, and we have that in verses 17 and 18. The flesh against the spirit. This is a diagnosis of our sin nature. This is who we are. We're born with it. And it's our default nature. So that you cannot do the things that you would. You know, too many times this is taken literally and is sort of a, an excuse or a cop-out or a reason for this weakness. I can't help it. You, you've probably heard that already. And um, sure, we've all used it. Uh, many times in Scripture, we use it too. Um, in Exodus 32, we have Aaron's excuse for leading the people into idol worship. I'm going to turn to that briefly. Exodus 32, you don't have to if you don't care to, but I'm going to turn to there and read that account when Aaron made this lame excuse as to why he actually led the people into idolatry. Exodus 32, verse 21. This is when Moses came back and saw what was going on. They were worshiping this idol that Aaron had made. Verse 21. And Moses said unto Aaron, What did this people unto thee that thou hast brought so great a sin upon them? And Aaron said, Let not the anger of my Lord wax hot. Thou knowest the people that they are set on mischief. He's passing the blame. He's pointing to the people. For they said unto me, Make us gods which shall go us before us. As for this Moses, the man that brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we wot not what is become of him. Then I said unto them, Whosoever hath any gold, let them break it off. So they gave it to me, and they cast it in the fire, and there come out this calf. Just like that, right? I just thought I had to throw that in just for an example. No, really, really, Aaron. Not quite. But anyways, um, that was Aaron's excuse. And, of course, uh, there was some serious consequences to pay for that. Thousands of people died because of that. Um, and yet, um, Aaron, or not Aaron, but Moses did give the people a choice. And they were given the, the, the chance to repent. And, of course, some did. But some, I think it was 3,000 lives were lost because of that. So there was some serious consequences, even though it, yeah, it was his default nature. In spite of that, we are still responsible for that. So how do we deal with that? Verse 24 talks about crucifying the flesh. Now, the flesh is, uh, is of course, um, our sinful nature. 
And uh, Romans 13, 14 talks about making no provision for the flesh. Um, make no provision for the flesh. But then we see in, in verse 18, a change of thought. It begins with the word but, B-U-T. But if ye be led of the Spirit, again, a total shift in thinking. Um, and that's where I'd like to look a little bit at the fringe benefits, if we may call them that. What are some of these benefits? We are led by the Spirit. But if we are led by the Spirit, ye are not under the law. There is hope. You know, we are still in the flesh, but the Spirit overpowers the flesh. And there will be fruit. What does that mean? There will be fruit. Let's look at that. Fruit versus works. You see that in verse 19, it talks, it begins with, now the works of the flesh are these. And it gives this long, bad list, if you will, of works, works of the flesh. But then in 22, it starts with the fruit. It contrasts that with fruit, but the fruit of the Spirit is. And he goes on to list the fruit of the Spirit. Works is effort, labor, toil, and strain. Isn't that what work is? It is for me. It's just, it makes you tired. You know, a machine works and produces a product, but there's no life. Fruit grows out of life. And in the case of the believer, it's the life of the spirit. The flesh produces dead works, but the spirit produces living fruit. I have here a piece of fruit. Now, there is life in this fruit. It sustains, and there's a seed in there that will also produce, produce more fruit. That's life. Stay there. This is an example of works. What happens if I plant this in the ground? I wouldn't eat it. It's totally dead. There's no life in this. It's just works. It's just a work. But there is life here. It sustains, and there's more that can come from that. And I'd like to just leave that there for your consideration when you think of fruit versus works. Hebrews 9.14, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Dead works, just like this thing is, totally dead. There's no life there whatsoever. Contrast, compare that to the apple, which is full of life in several ways. It sustains and it's, it, it has the ability to, um, to reproduce. Another thing about the fruit of the Spirit, it's not for our own consumption. 
The fruit of the Spirit is not meant to be hoarded and kept to yourself. We bear fruit that others might be fed and bring glory to Christ. You know, there are a lot of hungry people out there looking for truth. There are a lot of people out there who are looking for answers to life, not just for here and now, but even beyond. Let's be willing to share the fruit that we have. Anyone can produce a work, but only the fruit of the Spirit can produce the fruit that gives spiritual life. There's a lot of hungry people out there and a lot of needs. You know, fruit will also only grow in a proper climate. It will not grow in an environment of vain glory, of self, or envy. He talks about that there in the end of the chapter. Um, there's a tendency for us to kind of make a display or show out of our own, our own works, and even sometimes the fruit of the Spirit. We might want to be a little bit generous to be seen, right? Maybe I might want to show a little bit of love to someone else so that I could be kind of patted on the back. That comes under the, the definition of vainglory and self-exaltation. He says here, um, let's not be desirous of vainglory, but rather, um, you know, being able to share the fruit of the Spirit with others. It's not for our own consumption. It doesn't, it's not designed to feed us, but to be shared and to spread. It will not grow in an environment of self, of, of, of vainglory, of self, or envy. The fruit that we manu manufacture, um, the flesh, I'm sorry, the flesh can manufacture results that bring praise to us, but the flesh cannot bear fruit that brings glory to God. And uh, going back to that example that of Aaron's excuse that he had, um, he, he tried to pass it off, tried to blame it on someone else, but really it was just simply an effort to fulfill the lust of their flesh. And you can read later on in the chapter some of the, some of the scene that was, uh, that was displayed there. It was a, 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 a very godless, uh, sinful environment that they, that they allowed themselves to be caught into. And um, that was what really um, bothered Moses. They were there, God's people, supposedly bringing glory to God. And instead of that, they were caught up in their own uh, evil desires and their own lust. Um, there's a lot, certainly there's, there's um, a lot that, that can be said about that. Uh, when you look at the fruit of the Spirit, the very first one is, is love. Now, going back to um, Jesus was approached by uh, a lawyer one time who asked him, how do I inherit the kingdom of heaven? And uh, Jesus told him that he's to uh, love the Lord thy God with all their heart and thy neighbor as thyself. And when you think about it, the very first one listed here is love. And, be at, and, and from that, all of the others flow out to those around us. 
love, joy, and peace, uh, it affects others as well. It's not just something that you can use yourself and keep within, but it's something that goes beyond you and reaches others, reaches those that are around you. And I like to, I'd like to, um, again, emphasize that as we think of the difference between the works uh, of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit. There certainly is, um, the fruit of the Spirit is, is that. It's from the Spirit. And I guess if uh, a person doesn't have the Spirit, it's a, a person like that can't relate. But we can. The Spirit is within us, and the Spirit uh, gives us or produces that fruit in us. Unlike the works, like this spoon right here, there's no life. There's nothing that comes beyond that. This is an, an, an end in itself, which is just a tree fashioned into a spoon versus this, versus this apple that does give life. So I'd like to encourage us in that. In this battle for holiness, there certainly is, there certainly is um, a, a, a need, a hunger for, the, um, for that in our world. Those that we come in contact are, are um, desiring that, are hungry and thirsting for that. Let's be faithful as God gives us opportunity and be able to um, share the fruits of the Spirit versus the works of the flesh. Let's kneel as we pray. Father, we thank you for this the word that you have given to us. Thank you especially, Father, for the uh, challenge to holiness. And again, a reminder of the battle, the conflict that is before us. Father, we thank you that you have um, ordained this. You have called your people to yourself to bring honor and glory to you. Thank you, Lord, that you have granted that. You have extended that to us in our day as well. Thank you, Lord, that you have also given us your spirit and the ability to walk in it, the ability to, to live in such a way that is pleasing to you. Help us, Father, to be able to walk in the spirit one day at a time, one step at a time. Thank you, too, Father, that you have given us the tools, the equipment for victory over uh, this battle or this conflict that rages within us. There's the desire for vain glory and uh, exaltation, but we thank you, Lord, that you have given us the fruit of the Spirit as we contrast that with the works of the flesh, realizing that the works of the flesh are dead works. But in the fruit, there is life, life to those that we share it with. Thank you for these um, these benefits that are ours. Thank you, Lord, that you have given us the victory and the power over this. So I pray that you would continue to go with us as we, as we live our lives, that we'd be mindful of the, the uh, fruit of the Spirit that have been given to us through your Spirit. Help us, give us grace to be able to um, share and to live in such a way that would bring honor and glory to you. And so we pray your blessing. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.